0: Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We
1: behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who.
0: As Christians, we know what is required of us, and that is faith in Jesus Christ. By faith, we enter into the new covenant that He established for us by dying and taking the penalty for our sins and rising again to new life. part one of Cheryl's message titled, The New Covenant.
1: As a child in Sunday school, the example of Jesus was often held up before me, like, be like Jesus, follow his example. But I found myself being crushed under this heavy burden. I mean, seriously, what child wants to be crucified, right? Or wants to be rejected, or to take that, It. It was too much for me, especially as a child. And I constantly found myself more like Peter than like Jesus. I wanted to sleep when I should be alert and praying. When I should be listening, I was arguing. I wanted to hide when I should be following. I wanted to deny and fit in when I should be standing up, standing out and declaring. Those WWJD bracelets are killers. I remember seeing it on an arm of a certain athlete and you're kind of like, oh great, there's a Christian. And then hearing of all these rotten, terrible things he was doing in his life. Because you see, it's not about doing what Jesus would do, but allowing Jesus to work in us what he's already done. If we keep it outward, as an example, it will never go inward as the power of grace. The new covenant is all about God implanting Jesus within us. It's about God's kingdom coming to live and take rulership of our hearts. And the outworking of God's kingdom in our hearts is that we will become we will manifest the life of Jesus in us. Paul said to the Galatians, I labor and birth pangs for you till Christ is formed in you. That's what it's about. It's about Jesus being formed in us. And because Jesus is formed in us, Jesus begins to speak through us. Jesus begins to change the way we think, the way we act and our activity. So it's not about what we do for Jesus. It's about what Jesus works in and through our lives. God supplies the desire and the power in us so that we begin to think like Jesus, we are becoming more like Jesus. There is a huge difference in the demeanor, the desires, and the activities of the disciples before the crucifixion and after. Before the crucifixion, before Christ lived in them by the power of the Holy Spirit, before he was in that upper room in John chapter 20, and he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Before that, before that, we see the disciples' Failing again and again and again, all through the gospels. In fact, the whole Bible is all about man's failure and God's goodness and grace and glory and generosity in sending Jesus for us. But it is from start to finish our failure and his glory, his goodness. The disciples, they fail even after the resurrection, they're in a locked room until Jesus comes and appears and breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus drank the cup that no other man could drink. Remember John and James? They're like, Lord, we, we want to sit on your right hand and your left. And Jesus says, are you able to drink the cup and, and be baptized with the baptism? And they're like, yes, Lord, we're able. And he says, no, no, but you will be baptized. but And you will drink the cup, but you'll drink the cup after I've had the cup. I will give you another cup. I will give you my baptism and I'll bring you into the work that I will do. No man but Jesus could drink the wrath of God against sin and
0: survive it.
1: But Jesus, because he was absolutely sinless, absolutely righteous, could bear the indignation of God's wrath against sin and triumph in it and saved mankind through it. No one but Jesus could endure the contrariness of sinners. Jesus allowed men to brutalize them, yet his heart and attitude towards sinners never changed. During the whole trial, he is seeking their salvation. He kept loving. He kept forgiving because he is and always will be who he is, Jesus the Savior. He never changes his disposition. He never changes his wisdom. He never changes his compassions. He remains as he is. Jesus is so much greater in love, in goodness, in power, in glory, than we could ever begin to fathom. He did what no man before him could ever do. He did what no man after him could ever do. Jesus alone. Do not try to make Jesus merely your example. He must be your life. You must enter into what he has already done. We must ingest his work, his his body, his blood. Jesus alone alone fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law, something we've never done and never could do, even on our best days. All you have to do is get on the freeway and every good work you've ever done will be blown. You ever have that? I mean, I find myself looking at cars going, and I'm like, I hope they think I'm just praising the Lord. Like, I'm so glad you pulled in front of me and almost killed me. You know, I, I did that Yesterday. Praise the Lord, I was able to make it almost righteously to church today, driving. But if anything tries my goodness, it is driving Harbor Boulevard. Somebody was saying the other day, they've never seen so many cars run red lights like they do on Harbor Boulevard. It is the red light running capital of the world. Uh, and, And this car just pulls in front of me, just suddenly, no blinker, no warning, just And I I find myself going, this was yesterday on the way home from church. And I'm like, you know, it's like the Holy Spirit goes, what are you doing? Uh, Praising? (laughs) Exercising? (laughs) Take your pick. What about showing your flesh? Oh, yeah, that would be it. That would be it. You know, in just a second before that, I was like, Lord, you're so good. I love you so much. Thank you for this car that was given to me. Thank you that I have a home I'm going to. I mean, I was in a spirit of praise until that car drove it right out of me. Like, I don't even know what that means. Actually, I kind of do. It's like, what are you thinking, idiot? I mean, it was a lot of bad stuff. As shown by my gestures. You know, we can be so in the spirit one moment, can't we? So like, oh, I just love Jesus. And so awful the next moment, even surprising ourselves. That can't be me. I must be schizophrenic or multiple personalities. (laughs) Something's going on. No wonder so many Christians think that they can be demon-possessed. You're not. You got the flesh to contend with. But if we try to make Jesus just our example then we will fall. We will be crushed by his goodness. We will be crushed by his generosity. We will be crushed by his example. Jesus alone fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law. Jesus alone established the covenant of God. Jesus alone drank the cup. Jesus alone endured the wrath of man against God. And Jesus alone endured the wrath of God against man. Trying to simply follow the model of Jesus will leave us with one of three attitudes. We'll either be like the religious elite we read about in Luke chapter 22, who plotted to get rid of Jesus. They envied him because they knew they couldn't live like he lived. They envied him because his righteousness was so perfect. They envied him because God's power was so manifest in him to heal others. No one did what Jesus ever did. They envied him because he exposed their darkness. He exposed their evil intents. He exposed their true nature. And because of that, they wanted to destroy him. Or we will become like Judas, starting with Jesus, moving with the disciples, but turning because his example is so, so good, conspiring against him, betraying him, because we want to keep our own desires. I know so many, having grown up in the church, who started out with Jesus, excited about it, but when they realized that their righteousness was not righteous enough. Their sacrifices were not righteous enough. They didn't want Jesus anymore because they wanted to hold on to their lifestyle. They wanted to hold on to their own self-righteousness. They didn't want to be told that what they were doing was sin and they didn't want to have to stop doing what they were doing. And they ended up not only conspiring against Jesus, betraying him, but resigning themselves over to their sinful natures and going lower than they ever imagined they could go and gave in to the basest nature that they possessed. I think about how many who have started out have become antagonists of the church even written books, antagonizing the church. When I was growing up, there was a man, his name was Marjo something, and he became an actor. And before that, he had been an evangelist, and he completely denied the faith to become an actor. And you know what? His greatest, his, his greatest achievement that I could ever see on television was being on Love Boat once. And some of you don't even know what Love Boat is. Good. That's a good thing. Except for Captain Stubing was often mistaken for Chuck Smith. And Chuck Smith for Captain Stubing. This is a side note. My dad was in Savons. And this man comes up to him and goes, I know who you are. And my dad goes, Well, praise the Lord. He goes, Yes, I watch you all the time. My dad goes, great. And you know, my dad has this, you know, yes, I like you. I like your authority. I liked your power. My dad's, well, great, you know, great. And the man turns around and goes, goodbye, Captain. And my dad's like, Captain, Captain. <laughs> and then he tells my mom, and my mom goes, you do look like Captain Stupid on Love Boat. Not that I've ever watched him, but once or twice. So my dad had to watch it just to see Captain Stooping. Years later, he actually um, met um, Gavin McLeod, who played Captain Stooping. He's a Christian. And they met at a, a wedding that my dad was doing. And Gavin McLeod says, you know, I was in the store. And this man was saying, you know, I just love you and thank you for all you've done. And he said, I was saying, great. And he goes, you baptized me in 1977. <laughs> and my dad said, what did you say? He said, I said, praise the Lord. <laughs> My dad said, well, I was at Savon's and, you know, told him the, the situation. And then they got their picture taken together, which was just, you know, adorable. Okay, this has nothing to do with this Bible study. <laughs> but we will become like Peter, arguing with other disciples and competitive, sleeping when we should be alert, in our actions, failing in our own resolves, fearful for our lives, acting nothing like Jesus, no matter how much we desire to be like Jesus, no matter how much we try to stay awake, no matter how many times we attempt to do the right thing, no matter how closely we watch and follow after Jesus, we will fail if we try to make Jesus merely our example and not our lives. What Jesus requires of us is not to be like him, but to be filled with him by faith. Faith, faith in what he tells us to do. Faith in what he tells us he is doing. Faith in his work, what he alone has accomplished. We enter into the new covenant that he has established. This new covenant that was so necessary. So necessary. Without this new covenant, we're still left in our sins. Without this new covenant, there is no power to walk like Jesus, no power to live like Jesus. We cannot enter into this new covenant by our goodness or by following Jesus' example, not even by doing what Jesus did. We enter the covenant simply by believing in Jesus. Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, the Savior who sacrificed his life to pay the penalty for our sins. That's faith. That's faith. And that's how we enter into the covenant Jesus established, kept, and died for, and rose again. In Luke chapter 22, verses 1 through 13, you see this preparation for this new covenant you see the religious elite preparing for passover this is the time when all of israel would take the lamb the lamb the passover lamb for each of the families of israel and they would take it to the high priest to be slain or to the priest the levites at the temple to be slain and then they would receive their portion back that they would take home to partake with their family and this was a necessity for every family in Israel, So we see the people in Israel preparing the lambs to be slain. And as they're doing this, they're reminded of the price that was paid for their deliverance from death and slavery in Egypt. At the same time that the people are bringing the lamb to the temple, the chief priests are plotting and planning to bring the lamb of God to Calvary to put the Lamb of God upon the wood. The disciples, in the meantime, are following Jesus' specific instructions to prepare the room to celebrate the Passover. All of these are preparatory to the covenant that Jesus is establishing with us. Jesus sends his disciples into Jerusalem with detailed directions, a man with a picture on his head. Now, Maybe you think, well, that was Bible times. But in those days, it was usually women who carried the water. It was very unusual to see a man with a pitcher on his head, as it is today. And they were to follow this man to the house that he entered. And then they were to ask for the master of that house. And as they asked for the master of this house, they would say to him, where is the room where Jesus is to celebrate? Celebrate, what a word the Passover, with his disciples. Then the man would show them a large, furnished upper room. As the disciples followed Jesus' directives, they found it just as he said. Jesus is preparing them for the conditions of the new covenant. Up until this point, they've been able to see Jesus, to follow Jesus. But now they are going to have to learn to depend on the word of Jesus, and to obey the word of Jesus you will find in Acts the disciples remembered the word of the Lord and they remembered the word of the Lord and they're going to call upon that word and follow follow that word because they will no longer be able to see Jesus but they will follow his word They are learning to listen carefully now to Jesus' words, to his instructions, and to follow it. And as they did, they found it just as he said. There in this upper room, verses 14 through 38, Jesus established or instituted the new covenant. Jesus sits down with the 12, and he speaks of his fervent or burning desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Imagine that. This is the meal. This is the meal. It's right before Jesus' suffering, right before this incredible ordeal. And yet, this was the meal that with burning desire, he wanted to have with his disciples. He wanted this time. He had looked forward to this time since man's fall in the garden, that he would sit down and he would explain to these disciples the work of salvation, the work of the new covenant, the greatness of this covenant, what he would do to bring them back into fellowship with the Father. Jesus says, I desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, not before we suffer. You see, Jesus alone establishes this covenant. He alone met the criteria for this covenant It's not a we, it's a he met the criteria. This is the covenant that Jesus fervently was desiring to reveal to them. His body would be broken for them. His blood would be poured out or shed for you. With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. First, I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Jesus would fulfill or bring this new covenant to fruition. So Jesus takes the cup and he gives thanks for it. And he says, take this and divide it among yourself. For I say to you, I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. This is what was necessary to bring the kingdom of God to the hearts of men. You see, God wants to make it internal, not external. The law was external, And you know, there's a danger if today we have the new covenant and we leave it external. The new covenant is internal. Listen to this. When God talks about the covenant that he will establish in Jeremiah 31 verses 31 through 34, you're going to see that it's internal. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord. But everyone from the least of them to the greatest says the Lord shall know me for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. This is the new covenant. It's internal. It will be written on our hearts. It will be in our minds. And we won't have to say, this is how you know the Lord. We will have relationship with God, the Father. This is the covenant that Jesus is establishing at this last supper, this Passover. And he institutes it with his body and his blood. They are to ingest it. They are to take it in. And they ingest it by faith. This is my body, Jesus says in verse 19, which is given for you. This is the cup of the new covenant my blood which is shed for you verse 20 instituted like the first Passover it is to be done again and again and again in remembrance of what Jesus has done lest we ever think it's about what we've done lest we ever think that we also need the law or an addition you see the Passover was celebrated only once a year to bring the people back in remembrance of their deliverance from Egypt. But this, this new covenant, which we call communion, why do we call it communion? Because it's about relationship. It's about bringing us into oneness with God through Jesus Christ. It's about reconciliation. It's about fellowship. When I commune with someone, I'm going on a deeper level.
0: At the Passover, Jesus spoke of the new covenant that is available to us today. Only Jesus can offer it, and we enter into it by simply having faith in Jesus, that He is the Son of God who sacrificed His life to pay the penalty for our sins. He alone fulfilled the righteousness of the law, and the new covenant is all about what Jesus did for us and accepting it by faith. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll examine the new covenant as we continue our Jesus Magnified study in the Gospel of Luke with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com.